Greetings, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, my name is Adam Draycott and welcome. Uh, this has been prepared for the 21st of November uh, 2021. And our sentence of scripture comes from Revelation chapter 5. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. And we all want to say Amen to that, don't we? It's a great picture of praise to God. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, you break the power of evil and you make all things new in your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. May all in heaven and on earth acclaim your glory and never cease to praise you. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, in light of Scripture, in light of that prayer, let us spend some time in praise.
praises before him. Praise to the Lord, oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that has life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly because we adore Our Bible readings today come from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 12, Psalm 69, verses 5 to 17, and Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. Uh, Make sure you read Romans, whomever you're with, read it out loud, read it through quietly, uh, read it through one or two times if you're able to. It's very worthwhile. Let me pray. Father God, as we come to the ministry of your word, we ask for your blessing and your help. Uh, We pray uh, that your word will be planted deep in our hearts, our minds, our very souls, that we will be changed and transformed, that our minds will be renewed, and that we would worship you truly and properly that you would be praised, Father. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At Bible study, uh, sometimes we look for a key verse, uh, that one verse that seems to sum up everything in the broader passage. And as we open up Romans 15, I wonder what you think the key verse is. I landed at verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. That's the what. Praise to God is the why. It's got to be the why. The whole point. Praise to God. And the how. What's the how? Well, look in the middle of verse 7, just as Christ accepted you. That's how. Let's talk a bit more first about the purpose, this why of praising God. It's really important here in Romans 15 because praising God is how this this, uh, particular section ends. Verses 8 to 12, six times we're told about rejoicing and singing and praising. And this mob... Well, who is this mob that sings the praises of God's name? Who are they? Now, remember, as you cast your eye down, these are the old songs of Israel. Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117. And now imagine God's Old Testament people, Israel. They're singing this or these are the voices of the Israelites. And the Israelites sings, look at verse 9b, I will praise you among the, among the who? I will praise you among the, the Gentiles. 
of all things. Or verse 10. Hey, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his, uh, with his people. That's God's people. Some song, isn't it? When you think about it, Israelites, Old Covenant Israelites, inviting in Gentiles to stand among them and sing with them to their great God. A great moment of togetherness. Can you see them all standing around the piano having a sing song, so to speak? Verse 11 is the same. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. Jews and Gentiles, all nations, singing together, same place, Hear the invitation. Come and join in, everybody. Come and join in. Now, and how does this culmination, this crescendo, this massive high point of praise happen? How does it come about? Well, verse 12 will tell you. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. Who is Jesse? Ah, well, if you know, he is the father of King David. That's right. And from the line of David, the line of King David comes. Jesus is the answer. That's right. And so we see the basis of God's acceptance of us is this root of Jesse, this one, a descendant of David and Jesse, the one we call Jesus. That's the basis of God's acceptance. Promised long ago. Paul's taken us back to Isaiah 11. And sometimes this is a passage that gets a run at Christmas during Advent. How many weeks until Christmas? That many? Well, that many? Depends when you're watching. Now, here's the thing. First century Palestinian Jews, do you reckon they thought the Gentiles were welcome or even acceptable? How did they feel about foreigners in the time of Jesus? Were foreigners detestable? Were they repugnant? Gentile dogs, remember? And rabbis, haven't they twisted Old Testament scripture? They've twisted God's promises and made them entirely nationalistic and exclusive. For example... According to rabbinic law, a Jewish life was deemed more valuable than a Gentile life. Contact with a non-Jew, a Gentile, was seen to be sin. And then we come to Romans and we read this, written by Paul, a former Pharisee of the Pharisees. A Jewish leader who once viewed Gentiles as subhuman. Fodder for hell, Gentile dogs. And under God, that same bloke is writing this. And he's citing these references. And then he tells us, what does he tell us in verse 7? Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. <laughs> now, can you imagine how the early church would have rolled or not rolled had people like Paul... And Peter and others, imagine if they'd never gotten over their innate, overwhelming prejudices that they would have held as Jews. 
I mean, seriously, why on earth would Paul go and preach to the Gentiles? Why give time and energy, his very life, to people who most Jews considered to be substantially less? What? And if that is true, what happens to the gospel of the nations? Doesn't stand a chance. And then conversely, the other side of the coin is, why on earth would the Gentiles bother listening? And so can you see the miracle? You need to see the miracle. See why God is to be praised. Gentile dogs, those people who were once regarded as logs for the fire of hell. Those same people the Apostle Paul now lay down his life for so that they can hear the gospel. So they can turn and live. See the miracle. See why God is praised. See the power of the gospel. See the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life. And see the prejudices, those barriers, the bigotry, the bias, the racism. See it evaporate. Accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Question today, what is the big threat to our gospel witness? Is it our prejudices? You have them. I have them. We, we all have them. I mean, what are they? I don't know what your prejudices are. I don't are there people that you somehow deep down you deem them unworthy of the gospel? Unworthy of your time and therefore unworthy of the gospel. Who are those people? You instinctively distance yourself from. Maybe it's rich people or poor people or common people or uneducated people. People from Sydney. Know-it-alls. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, old people, fat people, people we don't understand. Whingy people, loud people. Who do you like being with? Who do you not like being with? That's where your prejudices are. Despite the fact that we're all meant to be church family. That's the context here. And so, see again, we need to renew our minds. Chapter 12, verse 2. We need God's help. I need God's help. We all need the help of the Holy Spirit so that we not only accept one another just as Christ accepted us, but that God would be praised. That's the point. That's the goal. Surely. All right, that's the why. Now, what about the what of verse 7? What about this accepting one another? We've talked about it a lot already. He's been saying it since chapter 12. It's sharper in chapter 14 and now in chapter 15, verse 1. Notice he doesn't say that the strong are to attack the weak. He doesn't say that the strong are to criticize those who are weak. No, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Boom. Ouch. Not to please yourself. As a mark of gospel unity, the strong and the weak are to get on together and to live together, coexist, be happy. I mean, this is chapter 14, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace 
and to mutual edification. Same thing. We are to regard one another as precious. That was an application from last week. But if you missed last week, you might be going, well, who are the weak and the strong? The strong believer understands their liberty. They understand their freedoms. They, they're able to say, my life is not controlled and charted by tradition or Old Testament ritual or ceremony. Food laws, clothing laws, all those external things, no more. Or if you're a Gentile, you might be saying uh, eating food sacrificed to an idol might be a thing. Uh, that was part of my past, but now I know that I'm free. The strong one then knows that all, clean, all food's declared clean and an idol is nothing, so bring it on, bring on the pork pie, enjoy the long Sunday walk, all with a clear conscience. But the weaker believer, they're not there yet. They're a believer, but they don't feel that liberty. They haven't got there yet, such as their particular background. It conjures up the past for them. Or maybe it's now become a cultural tradition. Part of their and this is where the rub is. And Paul is trying to say to both parties, it doesn't matter. Like you do you and you do you just Love each other and accept each other. The strong understand their freedom. They say, I can do what I'm like. I'm free in Christ. The weaker brother might be unsettled, shaken even. The stronger says, get with the program, would you? The weaker says, but I'm not there yet. And as I paint that picture for you, can you see how the criteria for acceptance is put up and prejudices are formed? We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. We're going to be other, other person-centred. That word ought um, quite literally means owe. We have an obligation which takes us back to chapter 13, verse 8, if that interests you. Uh, it's the idea that we don't, we're not just tolerating and putting up. We, we're, we're carrying something. Bearing, shouldering, helping. We treat one another as precious. And so the strong believer with a renewed mind, the strong believer will say to the weaker brother, I meant no offence. I don't want you to stumble on account of me. I hear where you're coming from. What can I do to make it better? What can I do or change in a way that's going to help you? Does that sound like you? There's no entitlement there at all, is there? It's so countercultural. 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul writes, I'm free from all. I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak in order that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. When in Rome, that's the principle. And as we regard one another as precious, as we put aside our own rights and sense of entitlement, as we think about the other and serving them, 
our witness is precious as well. Not only to each other, but to those outside. This is crucial. Because our me, me, me culture says, do what makes you happy. Paul says, ask the neighbour what makes them happy. Check in with the weaker brother. It's not do what makes you happy. You do what makes your neighbour happy. Were you a strong or to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves? Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. There it is. And so a Christian does not exist to please himself. The Christian does not use liberties to please himself. We are not here for our own pleasure. That's the way the world thinks. We've been told not to conform to the world, chapter 12, verse 2. It's not our own pleasure. If it is, if, we, if it's all about our own pleasure, then that is a sure way to give life again to your prejudices. But the mark of one's Christian brother or sister, the mark of a mature Christian believer, is to ask, will this build up my brother or my sister in this action or word or whatever? And such self awareness of self around others is thoroughly Christian, thoroughly mature, spiritually mature. How I spend my time, will it build up my brother? How I use my money, will it cause my children to stumble even? What comes out of my mouth? The films I watch, how I drive my car. The renewed Christian mind says it's never about me and my wants and my pleasure. It's all about serving the other, that they will be built up. And so we take seriously the command of chapter 12, verse 1, don't we, if you remember it? And we see that this kind of thinking is part of laying down our lives in service and worship of God. This is true and proper worship. Now then you say, how? We dealt, dealt with the why, we dealt with the what, what about the how? Well, just, just as Jesus did. That was verse 7, the middle. But look at verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Do you want people to be like you? To think like you? To eat like you eat or drink like you drink or to act like whatever? Or do you want others to know Christ and to be growing in Christ, to be like Christ? In fact, growing in Christ is the motto of St. Augustine's here in Inverell. It's a great motto. Growing in Christ is a great thing to aspire to. Verse 3 reminds us, did Christ please himself? No. No. <laughs> what pleased Christ? Well, you could turn to John 17, verse 5 for a quick look. And you'll see there that what pleased Christ was being in the Father's presence. Sharing in his glory. That, would, that pleased him no end. But then can your, does your imagination, is it able to go to Gethsemane? And that scene there. Uh, before the cross. Jesus is on his knees, sweating blood. And he could have just got up and dusted himself off and sauntered off into the night. He could have done that. He just could have walked away and said, you know what, I'm done. 
But no, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus please himself? Or does he pray, yet not my will, but yours, Father? And incidentally, that's not a new thing that Jesus says. John 4, 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 29, And he sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 17, sorry, John 10, verses 17 and 18, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again, and no one takes it from me. I lay it down willingly of my own accord. Jesus could have walked away. He could have pleased himself. Yet he stayed. And in staying, he died. And what happens to Jesus as he sought to please his father? Paul tells us, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's Psalm 69 verse 9. Slander, false accusation, insults, and ultimately murder via a Roman cross. But nothing, nothing stopped Jesus seeking to please his Father. Do you see that? Nothing. Also that we, undeserving sinners, Rat bags like you and me will be accepted by God. And if Christ has done this for you, then it follows that we should do it for one another. Is there more to the how? Yeah, absolutely. Because Paul keeps going. Jesus did it first. Is there more? How do we endure? Being prejudiced is so natural. This is so countercultural. Where can I find encouragement? Where can I find hope? Verse 4. Everything that was written in the past is written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul, he's got us thinking about Jesus, our Saviour. Yes, but see that he wants us to be thinking about the scriptures as well. He wants us to see, you know, when we go, oh, I need to endure and I need encouragement and I need hope. He shows us where it comes from. It comes from the scriptures. How else could we know what hope is? How else could we know where it comes from? How else could we know about Christ? And God's love for us in him, forgiveness, being made new, acceptance. The promise of more. We'd be without scripture. We'd be without God's revelation. And therefore, we'd be without hope. But this is what the precious Bible gives us. It tells us the future is secure. And it tells us how we can endure in the present. You want to endure? You want endurance? You want to be taught endurance? Verse 4 says, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And if you can't read, get it on audio or get someone to read it to you. 
join a Bible study group and read it with others. You want encouragement? Read your Bible. You want hope? Read your Bible. It's there. As we consider Christ and all that he has done for us, we want to be one. We want to be on the same page. And the way to do that is read your Bible. Verse 5. And so may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you this same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You praise him and worship him truly and properly with a renewed mind. Walking in the steps of Jesus. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. There it is again. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. And God will be praised. Because that's the goal. Amen.